Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have Ryan Carter of DC Outfitters out of Utah on the line. And uh, Ryan just got uh, done with a real successful hunt in Utah and killed a phenomenal bull and seen a bunch of pictures of it on Instagram. And it's an awesome bull. Ryan, how you doing? Dude, I'm doing great. How are you, Jay? Good, man. You've had a couple of really bang-up years. Um, uh, you know, I had you on the podcast before, and uh, last elk season you had great success. Um, and then this year you followed it up with a with a, another unbelievable bull, one of your clients. Uh, why don't you tell the listeners um, about, about uh, the hunt and, and how it all went down? Oh, that's a long story. <laughs> yeah, we can totally do it. Um, so I, I didn't kill a bull, but my client did. Um, his name's Kyle Ostrin. He's, a, he's out of North Dakota, just a really solid, just, I mean, just good dude. I I was really excited for this guy because he was just so, um, he's killed a lot of elk. He was just probably one of the most genuine people I've ever met. Um, he came to me. Uh, he told me he was looking to kill. He's a bow hunter. He was he was looking to kill the biggest bull possible, and he was looking for something really wide. And immediately, um, what struck to mind was a was a bull that we've been watching um, that I call MJ. Um, the reason we call him MJ is because I've been getting trail camera pictures of him since um, at least 2013. I have a couple tw- pictures from 2012 that might be him. Um, and, and he was just an okay bull back then. About 2015, he really exploded. Uh, have a lot of pictures of him from those years where, uh, I, for whatever reason, it, you know, he's got a kind of funny nose and it, his tongue was always hanging out. It's the weirdest thing. And so we started calling him MJ because, you know, if you can remember Michael Jordan back in the day, um, whenever he hit the paint, his tongue was out. Yeah. Um, and, and so he, he kind of picked up a nickname with us and um, just just been kind of a, a bull to watch for the last few years, um, both 2015 and 2016. Um, those years I, I was guiding rifle guys. Well, I, no, I, I did have an archery hunter in 16, but she killed opening day on a, on a pretty good bull um, at 4-0-something. It was, it was a pretty nice bull. Um, it, but so he wasn't even on the table. But by the time rifle came around with my second client, he had busted off his G4 and G5 off his right side, um, and he had done that two years running. So it kind of saved his neck for a couple years. Um, but when Kyle came to me looking for a wide bull, this this bull immediately came to mind. Um, I was thinking he was probably pushing 56, 57 wide. He he hit 53 and something on his inside. Uh, he might have hit. 50, 56 or 7 on his outside. Uh, to be honest, I never taped him. <laughs> he, yeah. uh, it, that, that bull came to mind, and he just we just had such a long history with him. We had a pretty good idea of what days he goes in and out and, and kind of where he ran. Um, we, we struggled finding him at first. Uh, the area I guide in Utah, there's, there's not a lot of glassing. I don't carry a spawning scope with me. 
my binoculars aren't big giant things. I, I run 8 by 42s because they're light, and I, I never look more than 80 to 100 yards. Um, it's really thick. So um, trail cameras is a lot of my game for that country just because I, I can get a good idea of what, what's in the area and try to find some kind of pattern to where they run, where they frequent the most. Um, and once I kind of find them, which I didn't find MJ till about, well, it was, it was mid-July this year. I, I had a friend forward me a picture of him, early season velvet. And then as the, you know, and once he found him, I knew he was just working his way into where he normally is. So I just loaded that area with cameras. I, I don't even remember. I think at one time we were pushing 18 cameras um, before we finally got him rotating on one or two. Um, by August, we had him hitting on maybe 11 different cameras, and we had two or three that he was hitting really hard. Um, so of those two or three spots, we had a, a, a little tiny tight spot where they were hitting in daytime. Most all the other pictures were night. Um, it was just a little tiny meadow, maybe 50 yards wide by 20 yards long. Had a dry wallow in the middle, just where they like to roll in the dirt. Uh, we, we called it MJ's paint box and set a stand in it. Um, tree stand? He, yeah, we set him up in a tree yep. stand. Uh, it, you know, we'd figured out which way the winds were blowing in the mornings and the evenings and kind of how to set him up, just like we would do if we were white hunting, whitetail hunting. We found a pinch point and a, a good tree on one corner and set him up. Uh, opening day, uh, I got him set up in his stand. I walked over to the tr uh, trail cam, and he had been in there two hours before. Uh, still velvet dangling off his horns. Just a awesome, awesome trail camera picture. I ran up the tree. I told him, oh, he's here. Like, let's, let's get out of here. And I, I bailed, and he, he sat and for two days. Uh, didn't hear or see much. Um, I may have had high hopes for nothing. On, on the morning of day three, hiking up to the stand, he was about halfway into the area and he ducked under a tree uh, when he lifted his head and his headlamp it, the bull was laying in the trail just 15 feet in front of him oh my god um, they, they had to stare down for two or three minutes i said enough really man was it was it like 15 seconds it just seemed long he's like no <laughs> it was two three and four minutes long oh and my I, goodness he goes I, I had i had all my arrows there i had my bow in hand he goes i just man you just can't do it you know so i just sat and looked <laughs> at him and he he told me multiple times he goes i am going to hold out for this bowl bowl because of that moment watching him walk away um dip down under the trees shaking his head back and forth trying to get through the aspens was one of the most amazing things i've ever seen in my life he said i will hold out till the end of this hunt just for a chance at this bowl um which was really fun because you know typically guys kind of start to hesitate a week, two weeks in. Um, Kyle didn't kill till day 19. And so, I mean, to sit that long, five hours each session, morning and night, 10 hours a day for 19 days, uh, it, I mean, it's just an amazing thing. I, I can't imagine having to do it. Uh, the fact that he did but is just... Was the bull showing up in the middle of the night or anything, or was he? did he vanish? Well, after that, so that was the morning of day three. After that, he vanished. And so my pattern on him was kind of where he was hitting all the cameras. He would be in there for like seven or eight days. Um, 
seven days, and then one time eight days, and the next time seven days. And then he had vanished for 10 days straight. And it was 10 days both times since we had found him mid-July. So uh, once he disappeared then, we, we literally had another 10 days of nothing. We saw no pictures. We had no sightings. We had nothing. He was just gone. Um, but once he did move back in, so I, I shifted his stand out of the paint box into a bigger meadow. And th this meadow is probably 170 yards long and 50 wide. It's a pretty big-sized meadow. We set him up on the corner where the wind would probably be the best, and I set him up there just because we were getting tons of elk walking through that meadow, and he wouldn't be so bored because we weren't getting much action at all in that paint box. So once I had him on the meadow, he was seeing elk. He was doing a lot better uh, mentally. Um, at that 10-day break point, MJ started coming back, and he came back in uh, just full steam with 30 or 40 cows. Um, screaming, wallowing, muddy, just full rut. It was kind of early. Um, so when like would that be, point, Ryan, roughly, like uh, end of August? No, we were about September. At that point, we had been 3 plus 10. We were about the second, second or third of September. Um, and that's a little early for southern Utah. Um, we do get a lot of, like, the second the velvet comes off, a lot of your young bulls start screaming and pushing cows around. You know, that five-year-old class, the 330-type bulls, they, they start, you know, this is their finally their year, and they get a little excited, and they push cows around. But it's it's a little preemptive. I don't, the the big bulls don't typically push cows that early, but he, he came in just full bore. Um, so it was a little shocking, but it was cool. Uh for two days, Kyle had him coming in, maybe three, uh, but he stayed out just past shooting range. He was coming out of the same corner, and it was the far far corner from where the tree stand was. Uh, closest he got him in those three days was 97 yards, and it just wasn't a good ethical shot. So he sat back with my Sony and took pictures out of the tree stand, and just there were some phenomenal pictures, uh, but it just wasn't panning out. So... Uh, Somewhere in there, I came in uh, from the backside checking cameras above his area. We had more cameras kind of on a trail in and out and walked right in on the bull. Uh, literally walked into him at 30 yards, came over a rise, and he's just there. Um, it was it was cool to see. It kind of cost us a, another day, maybe a day and a half before we killed him because he, he kind of took off through some rough area. Um, in that day and a half period, we moved him uh, across the meadow into a ground blind. It was kind of a sketchy spot because the wind was never good from that corner that he was coming in. And it was smart on his part because he was walking in with the wind in his favor both mornings and nights. But we set up a ground blind. I, I put it an ozonics in there and gave him a hard back wall so it would kind of try to contain his scent a little bit. Um, and it worked. It, you know, I, I think it had only been one day of him sitting in that blind and MJ came walking in and this time he only had maybe, I think he told me four, four cows and a calf. It, the herd was quite a bit smaller, um, but he came in, uh, hit one of the limbs on the, on the shot and kind of hit him back a little bit. He was about three ribs up. So he, he clipped the back end of his lungs and part of his liver uh, 
the bowl, it took him a couple hours to expire, but the job got done. <laughs> nice. He's a oh, giant, too. How big is he? I, you know, I, I hate saying because I, I run a really tight tape because I get nervous. Um, last year when Donna killed her bull, I, I taped him at 402, and he, I think he went 407. Uh, Brian Schiller's bull, I taped at 393, and he went 403. <laughs> so I, I, I always, I always hesitate. So in other words, you can't add, can you? <laughs> or you don't. You don't want to know the truth. <laughs> I just run as tight as I can because I would hate I like to have. That. I like. I would that. hate to tell somebody it's 400 and have it not be. But I taped him at 406 and 53 inches wide. Um, Fantastic. He's, he's busted off a few points. I imagine he's missing. You know, some of the guys think he's missing six or seven. I don't know, but he's at least missing four. Um, it, regardless, I'd, I'd man, a bull of that caliber, I wouldn't have cared if he was. 380 you know he'd be flipping arrows at him all the same so it's it's fun that he breaks the four mark and that's good enough for all of us involved we're super happy just to get lucky enough after 19 days to get an arrow at him so sure well that's that's an incredible story and um your instagram following along the different um photos you have of them it's just really cool to see all all of the history you have and all the documentation it's really really neat stuff um uh, if I had to ask you a question, one, the first question would be, what did this bull teach you? Well, a couple things. Uh, the, the the biggest thing was was his rotation was a little funny. You know, usually my bulls, um, they have this rotation where they'll hit one camera and then a second camera and a third camera, and it's this big circle. And they make these big routes, and it's almost like day one, day three, day four, day six. How big of a circle? What are we talking here? Um, you know, we might be talking uh, anywhere from three-quarter of a mile to a four-mile radius. And, and it will okay. go through that rotation through the summer. I, I mean, I really pattern a lot of bulls. Um, I don't run a big area. I run about 20 miles of mountain, maybe 30 tops. And I, I run about 100 and... 10 cameras between me and my two guys and so we we really try to get these bulls on lockdown so that when the bow hunt starts we kind of have their most frequent areas pinned down um mj was different because he he would absolutely leave an area for 10 full days and come back and stay in one spot for seven it like he he really didn't move that much and that that seven day period he would move maybe 600 yards you know, between five or six cameras. It, he was really in a tight spot and then just, I, I don't know if when he left for the 10 days, if he was in one spot doing the same thing or if he had another rotation and I just couldn't get him where he was at. But um, it, it was a different pattern for me to have him do that. But it was it was funny because I told him, I told Kyle, I said, man, if his rotation stays true, he should show up Thursday right before your hunt. And he did. I mean, it was just, it was incredible. Another thing I noticed on this bull, because I have so many years of him, I was able to look back on dates and moon periods on when his movement was. And some of the days he came in was the exact day he rolled through the day before. Um, two of the days were to the very time. And I don't know how that would work, how they would know that, but it, it was it was wild to look at his um, movements based on moon periods. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the hunt calendars he hit right on. You know, his best movements was right when the hunt, hunt calendar said the movements were, whether it was night or day. That's what he did. 
Um, I also took a note from a lot of the whitetail hunters um, and tried to find a spot where he frequented, or, sorry, frequented the most in the mm -hmm. daytime. You know, whitetail hunters will pattern their bucks, but they won't even sit and stand or take time off work until that buck's hit during the daytime. Yeah. Well, I wanted to make sure Kyle had the best chance at, at daylight movement since most of my pictures on this bull were nights. And that's why I picked the, that area that I called the paint box because um, he was hitting that in the daytime fairly frequent. And so there were a couple things that changed my game up a little bit with this bull. It wasn't just setting a stand or a blind on their most frequent spot. It was trying to find a daytime movement spot. It was um, trying to pinpoint which days he was coming in and, and how soon. And there, there were a lot of little shocking things that I kind of learned with this bull. But um, in the end, I, I can't really take a lot of credit for it because really what killed this bull was Kyle having the dedication to sit on him and, and listen to me. I mean, I don't know how many guys after that many days would even listen to their guide. You know, it's like, man, <laughs> kill, I, I yeah. can just see guys, you know, I, I've killed elk, man. Let's, this just isn't panning out. Let's try something else. And Kyle, you know, I just kept telling him, even the night before the hunt, he'd said, man, Ryan, it's been a day and a half. It, this was his uh, our talk right before he went in. He says, it's been a day and a half. We still got those little bulls bugling up top. And last time we saw him, he was fighting them off his cows. Like, maybe he's up there. Should we? sneak up in there and I said man Kyle I'm telling you your best bets this ground blind your best bets this spot because he always comes back always and he said yeah you're right I'm gonna go set it and he sat it and that morning he killed that bull and so Ryan don't you think with the benefit one of the benefits of the Utah hunt starting so early is that you actually if you have bulls pattern you can actually have a have a chance at a bull that maybe, say, starting now, maybe his pattern would completely change where he's running around like a, like a wild man. Would you agree that while a lot of guys complain that the Utah season is too early and, and ends too soon, that you've obviously had a lot of success with your hunters killing giant bulls, how much of that is due to the fact that the season does start early and you can get some sort of an established pattern with them? Yep. So um, I've, I've said this multiple times, and I, I may not have said to you or your, your audience, so I, this, is, this is my true feelings on, on trophy hunting elk for Utah. Um, I would take almost any archery tag in this state over the governor's tag because I will pattern them and kill them before Labor Day happens. Um, it, it's just, if, if you're trophy hunting bulls, the, the rut's fun and, and the rut can be just crazy. And sometimes you get lucky and it works out well for you more often than not though. I seem to have better success patterning them in the summertime and killing them in those first two weeks of the archery season, because I can pattern them just like a mule deer. I can hunt them just like, just like a deer, whether it's in a ground blind or, I mean, Donna's bull, we were on foot last year. Um, but once I saw where he was headed, I knew exactly how to kill him. It was a matter of getting above him. It was waiting for the wind to shift and setting in a spot that I knew he was going to cross, and we killed her bull. Um, not opening day. It was the second morning, but, I mean, it was the first couple days of the hunt, and it was just knowing the bull's pattern, and it was knowing, 
you know, where I needed to set up with the wind in order to get an arrow or a shot. It, you know, it, it was just, I, sure. I still can't take credit. She, I mean, her shot was amazing. It, I mean, it was 27 yards. You, you think, well, that's a chip shot. But when a lady's only shooting 52 pounds, she, I mean, <laughs> you yeah. just, you question every little thing. Does she have enough energy at 20 yards to get it done? Is, you know, do we need to make sure she have a quartering away shot? Like everything was played out perfect, and I can't ever take credit for what my hunters do because they pull it off in the end, just like Kyle did with this bull. But I, I really feel that that early season is is just a way to trophy hunt those bulls. If you can find them, that is the hardest part. And then patterning them, second hardest part. The third hardest part is just beating the mental game of, you know, am I doing the right thing? Should I sit here this long? Like, I'm invested 10 days of sitting. Like, is this really going to happen? But more often than not, I, I, I've just found that these bulls are very patternable, and, and I really like the early season. And I mean it. For sure. For yeah. sure. Um, how much of patterning is, I, I guess my question is, it's easy to say to pattern them. Like, it's easy to say that. But you're mm -hmm. talking about the mental part of, you know he goes on a 10-day cycle where he leaves and then he comes back. It's almost like, oh, I want to go, you know, chase other bulls and then come back. But you never know if he might show back up early. Um, how do you, I mean, I'm sure you're a wreck. I don't know you very well, but I'm, I'm sure the whole time you're a wreck and you're racking your brain and you're, you know, going crazy, try, you know, trying to do the best you can for your client. But, like, I mean, it sounds like from your history, like, you really have a bead on patterning these bulls. And not only that, but, but like, totally using the patience game and saying, I know he's going to walk back through this meadow. It might not be today or tomorrow, but he's going to walk back during this season right through that spot you know, how much of that is just total mental game? Oh, it's I, it, with these limited entry tags, Arizona's got the same kind of pressure Utah does. These guys wait so long. I, I mean, the, the hardest part for me is keeping guys motivated to, to try to get them to believe in me that, hey, I, I'm telling you, I know what I'm doing. Like, please hang tight. Because <laughs> like, yeah. it, it's such a, these guys wait so long for these tags. You know, they're sitting 20-something years on points or, or they've invested X amount of dollars in purchasing the tag because a, a lot of them are really spendy. Um, I, I've picked these, this particular tag up for as cheap as like 16000 before, but I, this same tag sold for um, 45 before. Archery, this isn't even yeah. a rifle or a, or a right. late season or premium tag. This is a bow tag. Uh, so That's, there's a lot of pressure on these guys, and the mental game's tough. Having a hunter that that will listen to his guide and and have the trust in you to that the job will get done is is a I mean it's a hard game. So yeah, that that's a big part of it. it you know, especially on these long weights, especially on these expensive tags. So. Yeah, the, the mental game isn't fun. Okay, a couple quick questions, and then I know you got to run. You've got rifle hunts coming up here. Um, antler growth uh, in in Utah, in the areas you've been running, is antler growth average, above average, below average, and why? So for that area, uh, you know what, it, it's about par. I, I wouldn't say it was really good. I had a couple bulls actually shrink a little bit this year. 
Um, the winter didn't really affect southern Utah like it did northern Utah, especially like these bulls. They they have desert country they can run down to the second it gets kind of hairy. Um, but the dry July, I, I don't think helped. July was really dry here in Utah, and our acorns really fried. So I, I, I did lose a little bit, but I wouldn't say it was um, better or worse. I, it seems like a lot of units that that do par on average years are doing really well. Units like the Wasatch, um, seems like there's some giant bulls on that unit this year, and it's managed for a five-year-old bull unit. You know, most of the bulls that come off that unit are fives and small sixes, and this year I, I've seen more pictures of just good bulls coming off than I have in a long time. So there's areas that I think um, that, that the elk are doing really well, and then a lot of areas like where I'm at, I mean, I think it was about par. I wouldn't say it was above average or below. It just sat where it normally does. Okay, that, that's um, that's a good answer there. Um, what about as far as rutting behavior and bugling? Um, you know, the archery season is almost over, right? A few days. Um, mm -hmm. How does it look going into the rifle hunt? I mean, are they are they going to be full tilt or are they going to continue to get? You know, where what stage are they at now, and what's your prediction for the rifle hunt? Um, right now, they've kind of backed off. Almost everyone I've talked to, everyone that's kind of working, they, they still have bills calling, but it's right at first light, right at the crack of dark. Um, and, and that's pretty typical. Utah, we seem to have a big surge right after Labor Day. The, the 5th through the 10th kind of goes crazy for a little bit. And then right before rifle season, it backs off. Nice thing about Utah, if you do drive this, draw this early season rifle tag, it's usually prime rut. I mean, it's kind of when things really blow up. But um, I, I'm really thinking the, the beginning of this rifle season, uh, I, I think the first couple days are going to be a little slow, um, and I think it'll pick up. The, the 20th is always our prime spot here in Utah. seems like the 20th and 21st, our, our full moon phases out, and we seem to just have a really good hunt around then. And since that's about day four of our hunt this year, um, I, I'm predicting a, a lot of good bulls are going to fall during those times. Should be a good rut hunt, and I've I've said it before. I'm not a huge fan of the rut because I I get tired of calling in. Like I said, I can't I can't glass. Like we're just going in blindly, bugle after bugle, and I, I get tired of calling in the 330s, the 350s when we're trying to chase a little bit better. Where your book bulls in that 370, and so we'll go five or six days pushing for that. Um, type of caliber of bull, but hey, you know, I, it's my own fault, and I hunt where I hunt because I like it. <laughs> it's not, I and can't they, complain when we're calling in bulls. It's fun. <laughs> your bread and butter unit is the boulder unit, right? We've talked on the podcast before. That's the one you like the most. It's, it's the one you. That's kind of where you hang your hat. I I wouldn't say it's the unit I like the most. It's the unit <laughs> I'm the most successful. Um, okay. It, it it is a beautiful unit. Um, you're in Red Rock. You're in Ponderosas. You're up in Aspens. I mean, it's got a little bit of everything, um, but it's not. It's I wouldn't say it's necessarily fun. It's it's a lot of work because you can't glass. You can't sit on ridges, and you can't. It's a thick, nasty mountain for sure. Yeah, you can't take moments just to breathe and hang out with your dad and talk. <laughs> you know, you're yeah. you're constantly on the move. So I wouldn't say it's my favorite unit. Um, but it is the one I'm the most successful on. Uh, there's a lot of units that are a lot just funner for elk hunting where you sit on ridges and glasses and 
you can overlook all the, you know, aspen trees, and I mean, they're just beautiful, and uh, I really like units like the Pavon. I, I love the Dutton. I absolutely love that unit. I wish they'd put it back in our premier kind of pot, but it's not. Um, book cliffs are the same way, big plateaus, and it, I mean, you can get in some areas where you just can glass over just thousands and thousands of acres, and it, it's super fun. Uh, Manti, same way. Um, I love glass in the Manti. I love hunting the Manti, another unit that could do really well if it up the age class, but they manage it for what they do, and the herds seem to be really healthy, so I can't complain. Um, but, yeah, the, the boulder's my prime spot. That's for, awesome, for man. Well, you've had unbelievable success, and it's... Um you know, you've put in a lot of work, and I commend you for that. And I really appreciate you coming on, sharing a little bit of knowledge and uh, telling us the story about the big bull. And um, encourage everyone, it's DC underscore Outfitters, right, on, on Instagram? Um, Ryan underscore DC Outfitters, yep. I'm sorry, Ryan underscore DC Outfitters on Instagram. Yep. Uh, encourage the listeners to go give... Uh, Ryan a follow and check out all his photos um, and go back look at last year's photos too and you're I mean he's got a lot of great stuff and um, buddy just keep up the great work and I really appreciate you spending time and look forward to seeing your success with your rifle hunters coming up here in a few days oh thanks a million Jay it's always good talking with you all right buddy god bless take care <laughs> you too have a good night